before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The All-Star has passed. It is officially basketball season, and we are headed to the home stretch of both the college and pro hoops regular seasons. BetOnline is the number one place to stop for all the odds, totals, and player performance props. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up and get a 50% welcome bonus when you use the promo code BLEAV. B-L-E-A-V. BetOnline, where the game starts. Oh yeah, everybody, it's time for the Memes of the Weekend podcast here on the Take It Easy podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. Welcome in, everybody. It is the last day of February Not the 29th, it is the 28th, not a leap year this year. If it were a leap year, we could revisit the podcast we did back in 2020 of a podcast from the future talking about what sports would be like in the year 2024, but it is 2022, and we've still got a fun podcast coming at you here today. I would like to talk about a fun Devontae Adams situation coming up later on on the memes of the weekend. Also, Phil Mickelson did something funny, and every time Phil Mickelson does something funny, we talk about Phil Mickelson, because I'm, again, fascinated by why Phil Mickelson is still so popular. Granted, he's like 50 years old, hasn't been super relevant in the sport in a long time, and is worth half a billion dollars. Not sure why. I mean, we talked about this when Phil Mickelson won the major in 2021, but this one's a different reason, Um, and we'll get to those later on in the show. I just realized, because our first topic is the Major League Baseball lockout, it's a very heavy labor versus management topic today, which I guess is kind of a theme in sports right now in the world. So labor and management, always relevant topics as we talk about racism, bigotry, homophobia, anti-religion a lot on these shows. Um, Sometimes being labor versus management is an important topic too because labor is very much an underserved group in America. So uh, we're doing a heavy labor versus management podcast, which I guess is what happens when we're in the dry period of the sports calendar, right? Like I could talk about NBA regular season basketball with Joel Embiid putting up gigantic numbers for the Philadelphia 76ers and getting MVP chance at Madison Square Garden, but I genuinely don't care about that. There were like four NBA games on yesterday, uh, and I did not watch really any of them. I know that James Harden put up a triple-double at the Garden and everyone was going crazy, but I don't care about 12th place New York Knicks basketball on a fun, on a Monday in the middle of February. We've done that show before, and I hated that show. And now I've realized there are so many more important things than sports, like having a life and having balance and perspective and reading books on Sundays. It's so wonderful. So anyways, we're going to talk about labor and management, and that starts with the Major League Baseball lockout. Uh, If you want the full lockout breakdown, 
We did an episode back on December 10th, which was the day that the lockout first went into effect in Major League Baseball. It was a Friday, it was a football Friday, and we still did a Major League Baseball lockout podcast because I did that thing back then where I said, we are going to talk about this one time and we're not going to revisit it for months. We're going to talk one time about the lockout, and this is going to be the definitive thing. It's easy to see how this is going to play out. At the time, we said this will drag out into the season. This will cancel Major League Baseball games because there is an incentive for both parties to drag this out to the latest possible deadline. And when push comes to shove, because the sides are are in a better battle, someone will fold or they will come to a compromise, but it looks like it's going to benefit the players to wait out into the season, more so than it benefits management. Now, management is going to spin this as a, we need to cancel games because there is a labor battle, but ultimately during the pandemic, players got fully guaranteed contracts with service time for playing 60 games because of COVID, and they assume that it will be the same case because the precedent was set here in 2022. And so it benefits the players ever so slightly to wait out games as long as you get to play the playoffs and enough baseball games where the television contracts are fully guaranteed it will benefit labor to drag this out. So that's the thing we talked about on December 10th. If you want to go back to the December 10th podcast, I linked that in the description to this episode. Full breakdown of the lockout. Most of the stuff we talked about there applies. Some of it will change with, uh, you know, 88 days passing. But now we're at the last day, right? And the meme, I guess, is that, hey, I was right. Major League Baseball lockout did exactly the same thing that we thought it would. They dragged it out to the last possible day, and by the time you're listening to this, you will know if they got a deal done or if it will be, as we projected back in December, a few games getting canceled. Opening day, probably sometime in May. That's what I thought it would end up being. Might not end up being that. Because there is some level of optimism that a deal can get done on Monday, which is the deadline arbitrarily that the league set to not cancel regular season games. It doesn't really hurt the players all that much to cancel two weeks worth of regular season games, but the thing that's pushing back against that is public perception against the players, but this time around I've actually seen an overwhelming appraisal of this being towards pro-labor instead of pro-management, but also people who are kind of dejected by it, which is the the middle-of-the-road thing to say. Although it has been a lot of finger-pointing at the owners, which is a good... It makes me feel good to know that there's finger-pointing at the owners and management instead of doing finger-pointing at labor, like people did back in 1994 and like people did with the NFL when they had a lockout or when the NBA had a lockout, people tend to point uh, fingers at labor because management has a gigantic propaganda arm in the sport and in sports like football, baseball, and to a certain extent hockey. I'm not exactly sure about the nuances of hockey, but specifically football and baseball, those sports have a lot of uh, of nameless faces in their sport. 
a lot of people who you root for the laundry more than you root for the players. There's a lot of a rotating door of pieces in baseball and football, and so fans are more likely to be attached to the jerseys than they are to the names on the jerseys. Less so in basketball. Basketball doesn't have the strongest union either, but the point still stands there that baseball is the sport that has the the best, shall we say, union, but also has faceless players, and so fans overwhelmingly lead pro management. But this is just a general trend in sports. The thing that's interesting about this today is um, something Walker Bueller said over the weekend, which is exactly what I've been yelling for years and years, which is, this is not millionaires versus billionaires. This is labor versus management. And this is a really tricky part about sports and the labor versus management fight, which is kind of just the macro of this conversation. But now that we're 88 days in and the players have stood their ground on this one, which, by the way, if you go back and listen to the MLB Lockout podcast we did back in oh December 10th, that was the date, December 10th, if you go back to that, the thing I said is, I already don't like how long the baseball season is, and because everything I'm hearing is saying that leverage moves in favor of labor as games start to get canceled, MLB, I'm willing to sacrifice Major League Baseball games in order to gain advantages for labor. It's why I'm hoping, in a weird way, that if my calculations are correct, the deal won't get done tomorrow. Again, I don't understand labor politics or labor nuances, or this case specifically. A lot of my information comes from David Sampson and Jeff Passan of ESPN and other sources giving me information on this. I'm not doing my own information seeking on the the nuances of labor in baseball and the luxury tax thresholds and the minimum salary numbers, although those numbers are out there. For example, Major League Baseball wants to set up a, or I'm sorry, the Players Union wants to set up a pre-arbitration bonus pool of around 115 million, while management wants to set it up around 20 million, which is a gigantic gap to be missing right now. It's going to get done eventually, but they, you know, right now they're staying far away with the hopes that people will end up pushing back on the situation and coming to some level of a compromise. But maybe that number gains ever so slightly for the union by canceling a few games. And honestly, canceling some baseball games in favor of giving labor more power is something that I'm definitely in favor of. Everyone draws their line in different places. I draw the line at, you can cancel half the MLB games if it means significant gains for labor. It's what the trade-offs are going to be in that situation. But what's interesting about labor and management battles as a whole and this is the millionaire-billionaire thing that everyone points to all the time, and I try explaining this to non-sports people a lot, or casual sports people who tend to lean pro-management because they're more susceptible to propaganda, which has part to do with people's political leanings. It's, it is a fact that Republicans are more likely to be susceptible to propaganda because there's a larger propaganda arm and less likely to be... Uh, to. If you are less likely to have gone to higher education, you are more like more susceptible to propaganda, and therefore, you know, more people who with lower levels of education tend to vote Republican. It's just a general trend, not anyone specific. The point still stands here. Explaining to casual baseball fans and non-sports fans as a whole is 
MLB players and NFL players and NBA players make a lot of money and are also incredibly underpaid based on what they are returning to the franchises here. And that seems crazy for people to fathom that the NBA players minimum contract should be somewhere in the millions instead of the hundreds of thousands or that major league baseball should have people in the hundreds of thousands or uh, sorry the tens of millions instead of the millions or hundreds of thousands but the structures and systems of the sports leagues which have monopolies major league baseball is a monopoly nfl is a monopoly nba is a monopoly they have antitrust legislation because it's better for those leagues to suppress labor and they get antitrust exemptions from Congress. You see that sports leagues end up creating structures and systems that limit the money that labor can make because the best way to max the or sorry, the only way to maximize revenue for any business is increase your profit or decrease your costs. And labor is a cost, and so they've set up a system where they can pay labor less and increase profits based on what they make. This is what the NCAA has, is the NCAA pays their athletes the equivalent of 16 cents on the dollar. This is what Jake Paul was arguing against Dana White for in the UFC, is that UFC fighters do not get paid enough. They get they make like 15 cents on the dollar of what they should be making. And Major League Baseball and NBA players at the highest levels make about 30 to 40% of what they should be making. There are exceptions in between, of course. Like, we talk, we're going to talk about Kenny Galladay in a second with Devontae Adams. That is an exception that proves the rule to a certain extent. But there are exceptions of people getting overplayed, but, uh, overpaid, but overwhelmingly, systems like luxury tax thresholds, systems like max contracts arbitration in baseball, these are things that suppress the wages for labor in their sports. And these are things that are collectively bargained in all three of those leagues, which NFL um, max, or NFL salary cap, NBA salary cap and max contracts, baseball arbitration, and a de facto luxury tax. It's a luxury tax is that acts as a salary cap. All of these sports collectively bargain them because with because you're starting from having none of those things. These are things that end up being collectively bargained and you gain something else, whether it's a higher percentage of revenue share. And all of this relates to the fact labor and unions don't have enough power to get fair compensation from the employers. And baseball and basketball have stronger unions. The NFL used to have a stronger union. The NFL now has a lot of anti-union lawyers working with DeMoris Smith. It's a really convoluted, complicated situation. Union doesn't have the power to push back against management, not because they don't have power at all, but just because management in sports have so much power, especially in the modern day where almost every Major League Baseball owner is a billionaire is a billionaire by virtue of having a large percentage, larger than 50% stake in the teams that they own. And so this is an interesting point that plays out as we watch possibly a Major League Baseball 
agreement tomorrow or the more likely situation, which has changed in the last 24 hours, games getting canceled and a smear campaign of everyone involved when in reality, whether it's fact-based or not, it's better to lean with labor than it is to lean with management. Because in this case, management could concede more to players and in a practical sense, collective bargaining is about a compromise. In the ideal sense, labor would get so many more gains over management because they're already incredibly underpaid and undervalued for the value that they are bringing in. LeBron James in the NBA, and he's the highest level example, but you could throw it to Durant or you could throw it to Giannis Antetokounmpo, etc. Those guys on a free market would be worth a hundred million plus dollars a year. We did a podcast last year in July where we said if the NFL had no salary cap, if we took away the salary cap in the NFL, it would be free market capitalism that would lead to the highest paid players in the sport making 70, 80 million dollars a year because that's what the market says that they are worth. Lamar Jackson to, say, a Philadelphia Eagles or to a Miami Dolphins is worth 80 to 90 million dollars a year. And unfortunately, because of the salary cap structures in the NFL, the most a quarterback, which is the only position that gets paid like this, can make is a percentage of the salary cap. It's not about a dollar figure. It's about a percentage of a salary cap that can be allocated to players. And this is a system that the owners and management enjoy because it lowers the power of the the labor to get more money and more power from the organizations. And all of this is collectively bargained and all of it is a compromise, but it's a compromise that labor overwhelmingly gets forced into because of circumstance. In an ideal situation, these leagues would have so much less power and players would be able to take more of it. And again, this is the starting point of in the 1960s and 70s in the NBA. Oscar Robertson had to start a union in the NBA because NBA players were making like seven cents on the dollar of their television contracts. Like they were being exploited for their labor. And the salary cap systems are still incredibly exploitative just as college football and college sports and the NCAA are still incredibly exploitative, it's just that they have more power than they used to. Not that they have enough power of what they're worth, it's that they don't have enough of the power and don't make enough of the money worth what their compensation is. And so because this is an incredibly interesting opportunity where baseball is headed towards Technically, their second work stoppage in three years because the, the the regular season got delayed a month during the pandemic year where they were trying to start July 4th and they didn't start until July 30th. So technically, that was a labor stoppage because of the pandemic. But really, it's been since 1994 that there's been a true work stoppage in baseball. Since this is the first time we're headed towards a work stoppage in any of the major five American professional sports in fi- in 11 years. The NBA lockout was 2011. So 
you're seeing a work stoppage in any sport for the first time since 2011 and in baseball technically for the first time in 30 years this is an incredibly pivotal opportunity where again if the people who are smarter than me on this are correct that labor gains more power as games start to get canceled then us as fans should be pro-labor and willing to back labor on getting games postponed and backing them on saying hey owners give them more power we will not give you money and we are not going to go away if you cancel games so you need to give the players money and leverage and then we will be okay playing games and everyone makes this own calculation for themselves right if major league baseball fans decide that I'm willing to compromise 40 games and that's it. That 120 games, I'm good, but 100, 160 or, 100, I'm sorry, 120 games, I'm okay with, but 100 is too little. Like the maximum I will sacrifice before I side the other way is 40 games. And in the case of someone else, they might say it's 162 or nothing. The players are being greedy. The owners are being greedy. Let's just take the crappy deal for both sides and we'll end up getting a full 162 game season which by the way is actually a pro management propaganda campaign across 50 years is saying why can't we all just come together and agree on stuff incredibly pro management because management has the power in those negotiating circles players only leverage in some of these situations is to withhold their labor and sometimes that is a massive leverage play that helps give unions a bunch of benefits except for when people try and bring in scab players, which it's better to not support scab players. But again, this also connects to what we talked about with the uh, with the Olympics, which is I don't like watching the Olympics anyways. So it was very easy for me to boycott the Winter Olympics because I didn't really care about it anyways. But pushing it over the top was an extra reason to not watch it, which is genocide of the Uyghur people in China, plus China and the Olympic Committee basically coming together to create a propaganda campaign at the beginning of that Olympic ceremony, and the thing with the um, with the figure skater who is 15 years old, who was doping, and all of it seeming incredibly gross because 15-year-olds had to lie on stage about grandpa's heart medication and crying and being berated by coaches is all incredibly gross, and it was easy for me to sit it out because I don't like the rah-rah of the Olympics in the first place. And so baseball, this is a similar situation where everyone has to make the calculation for themselves of how much are you willing to sacrifice in this small little way, in this small way of I'm willing to sacrifice a small level of entertainment, which is not a sacrifice, by the way. <laughs> yes, you're sacrificing a small bit of baseball, but you're not losing it. You're just doing something else with your entertainment time. Are you willing to not watch baseball for three months when you normally would in exchange for helping the labor of baseball get gains and ultimately your support coming back, your financial support during playoff time and buying jerseys and things like that will ultimately benefit the players. Now the risk is you might leave and realize, hey, sports are kind of dumb. There's other great forms of entertainment other than sports. It's part of the calculation. 
maybe you'll realize you don't actually care about sports the way you did. I know I've grown that much in the last two years. Maybe other people will too. Come to realize sports are incredibly stupid. They're really fun and they matter a lot to a whole lot of people and I'm willing to dedicate a significant portion of my life to it. But I love sports. Not everyone loves sports. But doing the right thing in this situation is backing labor over management. And it's really important that, assuming there is no deal done, which again, by the time most of you are listening to this, you'll know if a deal got done before games got canceled, then it's better to support labor in getting their gains, which it might mean canceling games, which I am in favor of, if it means better gains for labor in negotiations against management. New sponsor alert, people. It's the good people over at Athletic Greens supporting this podcast. You can get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens with one scoop a day of Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens has a special blend of ingredients that support your gut health, nervous system, immune system, boost your energy, as well as improving recovery times. You can reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. One scoop in a cup of water, and that's it. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D using the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, at athleticgreens.com slash believe. By the way, the link to that is in the description to this episode. Go to athleticgreens.com slash believe and use our promo code at checkout. Athletic Greens, take ownership of your health. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right. So, wanted to talk a little bit about Devontae Adams here on the Memes of the Weekend podcast. So, Devontae Adams is in a super interesting place. If you're interested in labor negotiations like we talked about earlier on the show, with Major League Baseball, and you're interested in collective bargaining agreements and labor versus management, which kind of seems to be a theme of this memes of the weekend today is the duels between labor and management. One of the things that's interesting about Devontae Adams right now is Devontae Adams is a classic case of why the NFL put the franchise tag in in the first place. Because as much as we talk about how like the Aaron Rodgers situation feels like it's really unprecedented for NFL history that even the great quarterbacks of the NFL have never had the kind of leverage that Aaron Rodgers has right now, where he dictates the entire success of the Green Bay Packers at this point, as they, you know, they're not as much in love with Jordan Love as they used to be. And Aaron Rodgers is entering 39 and he's coming off two MVPs and has the power to essentially choose what he wants to do with the rest of his career the same way. Tom Brady did as a player empowerment move into his 40s. And, you know, NBA players make these moves and Major League Baseball is the original player empowerment sport. And all of this is very interesting because Aaron Rodgers' move also dictates the future of what might be the best wide receiver in the NFL on a team that we said the entire season was good enough 
to win the Super Bowl and just happened to play a game in the snow where the best quarterback and the best wide receiver didn't have a connection because it was cold as shit and windy as shit and snowing as shit and the Packers lost the game. And so Devontae Adams is the exact reason why the NFL put in the franchise tag. This is a star player who does not necessarily want to play for the franchise that drafted them and his rookie contract is now up and he's available for an extension that in any other sport would command a record-setting deal. And the difficult part for Devontae Adams is that he is essentially locked into a two-year 40 to $42 million contract, which again is unfortunate for Devontae Adams. It's not like $21 million isn't quite his market value, although he'd make slightly more. The point of the franchise tag is that you make top 10 money in the NFL, but the franchise tag is incredibly pro-management because for a star who would probably leave the Green Bay Packers at the end of this season, Devontae Adams, who again won't have a fully guaranteed contract even if he signs a four or five-year deal, is essentially locked into a two-year contract at top five money. But this is the problem for Devontae Adams is that say Devontae Adams after those two years. And the reason I get to the two years, I should explain, is that the Packers can essentially franchise tag him this year and franchise tag him next year. And it would be a reasonable, reasonably about two years and $41 million, which would make Devontae Adams a top five paid receiver in the NFL. Except for when you consider that if Devontae Adams were to hit free agency right now, he would get a five-year, $125 million contract with a good portion of that guaranteed, let's say $80 million fully guaranteed. Now, the franchise tag is fully guaranteed, which good job by whoever was negotiating the franchise tag in the collective bargaining agreement on the union side, because getting a fully guaranteed contract on the franchise tag is an important step in a sport where only Kirk Cousins gets fully guaranteed contracts for some reason. But in the case of the Devontae Adams situation, he could make about $80 million fully guaranteed right now if he signed with either the Packers or any other team, except he can't sign with any other team because he's going to get the franchise tag. But then the whole situation that complicates this is if Aaron Rodgers stays in Green Bay, is Devontae Adams incentivized to get his money now and then force his way out later if he doesn't want to play for the Packers, except unless he gets a no trade clause in his contract, then he would have no say over his future the same way Odell Beckham signed the giant contract with the Giants and immediately got traded to Cleveland one year later. This is the difficult part that Devontae Adams finds himself in is, do you take the two-year $41 million contract, essentially, and sign on the dotted line for the franchise tag? Or do you try and get the money that you would have in any other position earned after playing through your full contract. And this is the situation that he finds himself in, which is if Aaron Rodgers leaves, how much are you willing to use your leverage? And this is a conversation I had in the NBA, which was, we know Kevin Durant has extreme power in that sport. Kevin Durant is one of the players that if he joins your team, you're immediately a championship contender. And so franchises have to pay Kevin Durant in power as well as with money. In baseball, Nolan Arenado signed a gigantic contract with the Rockies. 
got a no trade clause. One year later, traded from the Rockies to the or to the St. Louis Cardinals and got a one year extension along with being traded to the Cardinals and the Rockies had to pay a whole bunch of his contract. John Carlos Stanton, when he was getting traded out of the Marlins, declined to trade to St. Louis, declined to trade to San Francisco and still ended up with the Yankees fully guaranteed contract. And the, and he has a level of power within that organization to dictate where he wants to play. We know those people have power in the NFL the sport is structured in such a way that they don't have to give up power to star players unless it's one of the 15 that really, really matter in the sport. And even in the situations where you've really pissed off your star, you can still end up crushing their chance to make things ugly, which is essentially the way that you get out in these sports, whether it's James Harden or whether it's Deshaun Watson before all of the legal stuff or whether it be Nolan Arenado, or whether it be Giancarlo Stanton, or anyone else in these sports, if you have the leverage, sometimes you have to make it ugly to get out. Jarvis Landry's trying to do the same thing right now. Uh, you could argue Odell Beckham made it ugly, but the point still stands is that using your leverage sometimes means burning public sympathies for you because sports fans overwhelmingly lean pro-management. Some of that is happening to Aaron Rodgers right now, Aaron Rodgers just also happens to be kind of a jerk. And so this doesn't necessarily lead well for sympathies from the pure, I'm trying to force my way out of Green Bay situation. All of this connects to Devontae Adams for, if we know Kevin Durant has power, we know Tom Brady has power, we know Giancarlo Stanton and Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado have power in baseball, does Devontae Adams have the power? Because the Kyrie Irving situation was interesting because Kyrie Irving was like on the precipice of having enough power to force his will and using the, the fact that he was willing to sit out games and give up money and the fact that he was willing to use the leverage of Kevin Durant is going to come to bat for me and he has power within the Nets organization. Kyrie Irving got to do everything he wanted except be able to play and make money while being unvaccinated. And now he's back unvaccinated and getting paid for the Nets. Like he used his leverage and power and got everything he wanted out of that situation reasonably. Like he couldn't play in the state of New York, but reasonably got everything he could out of that leverage play. Does Devontae Adams have that power within the Green Bay organization to make things ugly enough where he leaves? Because remember last year we did a podcast on this very topic with Kenny Galladay and Allen Robinson. Kenny Galladay and Allen Robinson just did not have the leverage at all. If Detroit hadn't decided they were going to tear everything to the ground, Kenny Galladay would have been franchise tagged last year, maybe on a team equally as bad as the Giants, still had zero touchdowns, and Kenny Galladay doesn't get the $64 million that he got from the New York Giants because he only had the one year fully guaranteed. And I'm not saying that the same situation is the case for Devontae Adams. At the same time, it's entirely possible that two years from now, Devontae Adams can't even make up the money he could have fully guaranteed right now. If he could fully guarantee $80 million, 125 total, but $80 million guaranteed on a five-year contract today, and doing the franchise tag thing will get him $40 million, that means in the last three years of his contract, 
Devonte Adams would have to get forty million dollars fully guaranteed to be able to meet what he could make right now, and forty million guaranteed to in three years is about thirteen million fully guaranteed. Ballpark right now, the average star player in the NFL gets about 60 to 70% of their contract fully guaranteed. There is no exact number for this, but it's around 60 to 70% fully guaranteed. Mahomes's contract was, I believe, six, or it was less than that, but Mahomes had a essentially an opt-out in his contract. Josh Allen was in the 60s. Russell Wilson was in the 60s. Cam Newton's contract with the Panthers was somewhere in the 60s. The point still stands like, say 65% fully guaranteed. That means Devontae Adams would have to be worth $20 million a year two years from now to be able to make up the money he could have made had he been an unrestricted free agent after this year, which is essentially to say if the franchise tag doesn't exist, Devontae Adams would make $40 million more fully guaranteed. So to make $20 million fully guaranteed two years from now, Devonte Adams at age 27 would have to be still a top five wide receiver in the NFL. Possible? Yes. But it'd be better for Devonte Adams to lock in the money now because it's not great odds that two years from now, Devonte Adams will still be commanding the giant contract that he could sign right now. Odds are good that he'll still make money, but he's going to lose money because of the franchise tag. And this is why I've been anti-franchise tag for years now is as I've shifted from being pro management towards pro labor a whole lot, as I've done a lot of unlearning and getting out of the sports world and kind of applying this to real life as well, like unionization being a big deal in the private sector of any economy and the public sector already has high unionization and things like that. As I've just learned more about how this stuff impacts the world, it's more important in this sport to be pro-labor because as we talked about with Major League Baseball, fans already lean pro-management and management has way more power and way more leverage than Major League Baseball unions or players in the NFL. And that's just a general case is management has much more power than labor because labor is more disposable than management and management has more money and more power to exercise their will upon labor. This is just the way that systems and structures have been set up in America. And so in the case of Devontae Adams, Devontae Adams is losing money because the franchise tag exists. Even if he has to play two full seasons and still be a top to five wide receiver and get another contract after the fact, Devontae Adams could have still gone back and renegotiated his contract then. So Devontae Adams is in a place where he loses money there. And at the same time, he could get that contract from someone else if he's willing to force his way out of Green Bay, which he is very clearly willing to do based on the decisions we've seen in the past with them doing the him attaching himself to Aaron Rodgers and doing the last dance thing. Like he's the fact he didn't sign the contract last year was very clear that he's not sold on Green Bay. And if he's willing to use all of his leverage to get out of Green Bay, I'm not 100% sure if that's going to be enough. Because again, it wasn't enough for Allen Robinson. 
it will it might be enough for Aaron Rodgers. It wasn't enough for Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson got checkmated into playing on the franchise tag. Chandler Jones wanted a new contract with the Cardinals. And the card he essentially asked the Cardinals to trade him if he wasn't going to get a contract. And the Cardinals forced him to fold. And he came back and played on the franchise tag. So Chandler Jones and Allen Robinson did not have the leverage. Aaron Rodgers does. Devontae Adams is somewhere in between. I'm not sure if even if Devontae Adams is willing to make it ugly, if he has the leverage to get out of Green Bay, or if the Packers can say, we have no reason to trade you. Enjoy your time with Jordan Love for the next two years, and hopefully you play well enough to get a giant contract once we can no longer franchise tag you. It's a really weird situation that happens every year. Like franchise tags, we do we have the same conversation every year. At least we have for the past three years now since we've been doing this podcast. We do the same franchise tag conversation every year. The rules have not changed. The rules are not going to change because they just passed the new collective bargaining agreement in the NFL. What's interesting about the situation is Devontae Adams is the best player we can find who's headed towards a franchise tag. Because nobody in the NFL in Devontae Adams' position is willing to ride it out without getting the fully guaranteed dollars. And I don't know if he's got a wink-wink, nod-nod agreement with Aaron Rodgers, or if he's willing to use Aaron Rodgers' leverage to get him a new contract, or if the Packers are looking up and saying, if we lose Rodgers, we're incentivized to trade Adams anyways, and we'll work with him for a team that's going to sign him to a long-term contract extension. Maybe that's the move. But I assume Devontae Adams doesn't know what Aaron Rodgers is doing because I don't think Aaron Rodgers even knows exactly what he's doing at this point. And that's why this situation is incredibly, incredibly fascinating as it looks like the Packers are going to franchise tag Devontae Adams and we'll find out in the next month whether or not he still has his quarterback or not. And by the way, in a changing NFL where we're seeing that, hey, wide receivers are very similarly skilled, and the thing that separates some of the great ones is having a pretty great quarterback. In that sport, you're starting to see that the difference in playing with Aaron Rodgers and the difference in playing with Jordan Love could decrease his value by a pretty good amount. Because we think of Mike Evans as like the seventh best receiver in the NFL and we think of a guy like Terry McLaurin as a 17th 18th best receiver in the NFL and if you go look at both of their outputs and productions not that dissimilar wide receiver position is very tricky in the NFL especially when it looks like the Packers are about to downgrade from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love. And again, Devontae Adams, this plays into the conversation we had earlier about labor versus management. It's better to side with labor, aka Devontae Adams and Kenny Galladay, than it is to sign with management not giving out those contracts because ultimately it's not your money. And ultimately, players should be getting way more than they already do. Kenny Galladay could have signed a contract in a non-salary cap sport last year for $100 million instead of $64 million. It's just the nature of the sport. It's better to get labor, their compensation, because we'll forget about Kenny Galladay six months after he signs his contract. But the systems and structures in place can stay in place for 30, 40, 50 years 
if people aren't willing to push back against the systems and structures that make it so Devontae Adams becomes the next in a long line that goes all the way back to Jimmy Graham and goes back to guys from the 2000s of not getting their money because of this incredibly pro-management franchise tag concept that does not exist in any other sport or really any other business other than the NFL. Can you think of anything better than peace of mind? I'm sure I could come up with a couple, but the point still stands. NordVPN is here to give you peace of mind while you are online. With all the threats that you face today on the internet, it's more important than ever to be sure you have the best VPN that you can get. You can get NordVPN on all of your computers and devices. With NordVPN's unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection either. Plans start as low as $4 per month. And if you sign up today with the exclusive promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, you can get 70% off your NordVPN plan and one additional month free. NordVPN is risk-free for 30 days. You will get your money back no matter what. To make it a little easier, use the link in the description to this episode to go to nordvpn.com slash All right, let's wrap up the memes of the weekend with Phil Mickelson. Because Phil Mickelson got to have an LOL moment this weekend where Phil Mickelson said the quiet part out loud in an interview where he said of the Saudi Arabian government of which Phil Mickelson was trying to negotiate a super league with in doing what we call quote-unquote sports washing which is the Saudi Arabian government and Qatari government spend an incredibly large amount of money that they have on oil on sports and accepting that is an incredibly morally is morally and ethically wrong because the Saudi Arabian government, as Phil Mickelson will tell you, killed journalist Jamal Khashoggi with a bone saw and also kill people for being gay in their country. And also they were willing to spend enough money that Phil Mickelson was willing to compromise all of his morals and principles to go play a Saudi Super League in that sport. And this is an interesting part about quote-unquote capitalism, and I say quote-unquote capitalism in this case because this is free market economics, but it's the way that the money comes into play that changes it up. Under normal capitalism circumstances, every I mean like in an ideal capitalistic circumstance, everyone is bidding for the same pieces and values and trying to buy and sell things for the same value, and everyone has money to spend. In different, this is not practically how things work, where the Qatari government and Qatar Airlines have way more money to spend because people won't take their money and because they want to invest in these games so much, aka sports washing, which is we're going to give you big shiny things of sports that prevent you from seeing just how terrible our record on human rights is, you're going to see as sports washing gets engaged, that they have more money to bid than anyone else. The Qatari government has to value things at incredibly high numbers in order to get people 
to, to play their sports. Same thing with Phil Mickelson and golf, and same thing as the WWE. The WWE did seven events in Saudi Arabia, and it was the equivalent uh, contract from the Saudi Arabians as their entire television contract for two years. They made more money than the AEW television contract by taking Saudi Arabian money. Incredibly ethically and morally compromised. But if people don't know about the ethical and moral compromises of citing, of taking money from the Saudi Arabian government, who again, kills journalists with bone saws and kills gay people, the government kills people for being gay in their country. Like, not just like people doing it on the street. In America, people lynch people for having the wrong skin color. The government actively kills people who are journalists and or are gay and or are different are religious minorities actively kill people in their countries and and also don't have free and fair elections and also don't have basic human rights and so phil mickelson gets in trouble for saying that part out loud these are scary mfers that was a direct quote from Phil Mickelson. Quote, they're scary MFers. So why would I even consider siding with them? Because it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reshape the way the PGA Tour is done. Which is... Woof. Um, compromising all of your ethics and morals to make money. But being transparent about it. Like, I was surprised that everyone was going after Phil Mickelson because he was transparent about it. I would prefer everyone be that transparent instead of the WWE being incredibly secretive about going to Saudi Arabia or FIFA being incredibly secretive about hosting the 2022 World Cup in Qatar even though they had to move the games from the summer to the winter because it's 120 degrees in Qatar in the summer and 3,000 plus migrant workers have been killed in Qatar building those stadiums. This is where you see poor human rights ending up uh, countries with poor human rights but have incredibly large amounts of money being willing to spend them on sports as a way to give a publicity stunt to their countries by the way china just did this with the international olympic committee they paid an incredibly large amount of money to host a winter games in a place that does not have snow and does not have ice all of it was fake for people who were unaware and also has an incredibly poor human rights record and is committing genocide of the weaker people, you're going to see the International Olympic Committee take the money from Beijing to host the Olympics because the largest bid often wins regardless of ethics and morals in many of these international sports committees. The WWE is an American one that went to Saudi Arabia, but specifically FIFA who had a gigantic corruption scandal in the immediate aftermath of the Qatari games getting the or Qatar getting the 2022 World Cup and the International Olympic Committee which of course has had issues in the past with compromising morals and ethics as they allow Russia to continue competing after a gigantic doping scandal state sponsored all that stuff going to China you know, doing all the things that the International Olympic Committee does that are ethically and morally compromised because they're trying to make the most money possible. And sports washing is something that is incredibly effective. It's why these countries continue to do it. And what brings it back to Phil Mickelson is it's incredibly effective for Saudi Arabia to get the 15 largest golfers in the world to go live and play in Saudi Arabia and make 
two to three times the amount of money they're making on the PGA Tour. And so Phil Mickelson blew the leverage for his friends because he said the quiet part out loud, which I wish people were more transparent about this. The problem is Phil Mickelson's Callaway sponsorship and Phil Mickelson's clothing line and Phil Mickelson's accounting firm, because yes, Phil Mickelson is sponsored by an accounting firm and the American Express event that has Phil Mickelson's name on it, all don't want to associate with the person who says the quiet part out loud because we only talk about Phil Mickelson, unfortunately, when he does something like saying the quiet part out loud that creates a controversy that makes people point out, hey, what are the sponsors of Phil Mickelson like? What are the sponsors of Phil Mickelson looking at? Um, who Are they giving him money because now he's ethically and morally compromised, even though he was ethically and morally compromised the entire time, but because we could be quiet in the shadows, it didn't matter? The same way everyone put out Black Lives Matter statements after the killing of George Floyd, but then didn't actually end up doing anything after the fact, other than putting out statements because it was an expectation. All of that is how Phil Mickelson loses his sponsorships and loses his credibility within the PGA Tour. And I thought it was an overreaction, even for someone who is amazed at why people still care about Phil Mickelson, other than he's incredibly, incredibly rich and was very good at golf 20 years ago. I'm still fascinated why everyone's still fascinated by Phil Mickelson, because this was at a time where Tiger Woods was bigger than the sport. And the guy who was up against Tiger Woods, if Tiger Woods wasn't winning, was Phil Mickelson. Phil Mickelson won a whole bunch of majors in a three-year span, almost won. I think the, the U.S. Open that he collapsed in would have been like five championships in three years. He was the second guy who people looked at as dominant as Tiger for a short period of time. And it happened to be at the perfect time when everyone cared about golf. And so Phil Mickelson into his 50s remains relevant and decides he wants to use this relevance to continue <laughs> fighting the PGA Tour for money for his quote-unquote labor friends and his quote-unquote friends on tour and Bryson DeChambeau and company and the top 30 golfers in the world, except it also would have included $100 million for Phil Mickelson. So Phil Mickelson wasn't necessarily totally pure in his intentions to fight the PGA Tour in the first place, because Phil Mickelson knew he had quite the big payday on the way from the Saudi government if he hadn't blown the Super League situation and fought for concessions from the PGA Tour. A tough break for Phil Mickelson, but at least he won that major in 2021, because now he'll get to play golf four times a year with a national audience for five more years till he's 55 years old because winning a major means you qualify for every major for five years so phil mickelson will get to pull up to some of these majors even the ones he's already won for the next five years and we will forget all of this stuff about phil mickelson because phil mickelson is a golfer in his 50s and nobody should care this much about phil mickelson still except for the fact that he's worth a lot of money. Nobody should care this much about Phil Mickelson the way that people do. I'm fascinated by the way that people care about Phil Mickelson. 
and I have been for a while because we talked about this once with Walter Mitchell and once by ourselves when he won that major back in May of 2021. I'm fascinated by why people still care about Phil Mickelson 15 years after he had that dominant stretch when Tiger Woods kind of stopped winning, but still when people cared a whole lot about golf because Tiger Woods had brought casual sports fans into golf by the way that he dominated the sport. 15 years later, we still got those memories. We'll still talk about Phil Mickelson more than we'll talk about Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, because a whole lot of people remember watching golf like actively on their Sundays back in the 2000s when it was Tiger Woods kicking ass and for a secondary crowd for when Phil Mickelson was kicking ass. And we'll still talk about him even when he's ethically and morally compromised in taking money from Saudi Arabia. But it's a good way to talk about that and sports washing because sports washing is a concept that exists. And by the way, there's a really good John Oliver on the WWE if you want to hear more about sports washing and a really good John Oliver done on the Qatar World Cup from like seven years ago. Those are good videos to watch if you want more fact-based information about what sports washing is because I can only tell you so much within a 10-minute segment on a podcast called Memes of the Weekend. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We've got guests all throughout the week joining us. A bunch of our friends are going to be back here to laugh, to make content, to talk about sports, to laugh at Phil Mickelson while talking about sports. I don't know what else we'll talk about all this week. Um, But make sure in the meantime, leave a five-star review on Apple, leave a five-star review on Spotify, Leave a five-star review on Google Podcast, even though I don't think you can. Follow us on YouTube. That's much appreciated. All of this stuff is going to help support our dreams, and I love each and every one of you for helping to continue supporting our dreams. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen and non-binary peoples alike, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. I love each and every one of you, and thank you for continuing to help support these dreams.